Today's gospel finds Jesus in Gentile territory. He first encounters a Syrophoenician woman who pleads with him to heal her daughter who is possessed by a demon. Next, he encounters a man who is deaf and has a speech impediment. They are not his people. They are Gentiles. Why is he here? And why would he heal people like them? Behind this story is the question of whether Jesus' mission was consciously just to the Jews or intentionally extended to the Gentiles. Whether a definitive answer can be given in terms of scholarship, at least the biblical record is very clear. Jesus never turned anyone away, Jew or Gentile, who sought his help. The kingdom he was proclaiming was Above all, an inclusive realm of grace open to everyone, even people like you and me. In the early church, the question shifted to whether one had to become a Jew first before becoming a Christian. Paul's more inclusive way prevailed over the more exclusive approach of St. Peter. The grace of God was offered freely without the need for circumcision or a particular religious pedigree. Today, this question has emerged in yet another way. It comes to us transformed by the growing awareness that Christendom, as we have known it in the West, no longer is, and perhaps never was, the dominant religion in the world and by the growing visibility of the great diversity and vitality of many other religious and spiritual traditions in the world. For me, at least, the question is no longer how to make the world Christian. The new emerging question is what does it mean to be a Christian in the world in which we live? Think for a moment, those of you who at some point in your life made the conscious decision to become a Christian. Did you not, after your conversion, look back and see that the grace of God had already been at work in your life? We call this prevenient grace. It is the grace of baptism. It is the grace that goes before us, that prepares the way for us, that makes us ready to hear God's call to us. Or those of you who grew up in a Christian home, who have always thought of yourself as a Christian. Was not grace present in your home prior to your consciousness or understanding of it? Whether converted or reared Christian from childhood, did it not happen something like this? Through a particular person or community in the midst of a particular situation, through an experience of forgiveness, healing, Gratitude, love, even despair, something divine was at work in the world about you and in your life, something to which you responded with or without being able to name it as grace. And whether or not you responded or named it as such, the grace was there first. In fact, had to have been. The evidence is that what has happened is not of your own doing. An experience of grace that Christians in fact proclaim 
is offered by God to everyone at all times and in all places. I would add offered whether a person responds or not or calls it the grace of God or not. Of course, that's what Christians call it. We call it grace. And we know it is grace when we experience it or see it because we've seen it in the life of Jesus of Nazareth. Such a perspective, of course, has implications for how Christians might think about the church and its mission. You've probably heard the saying, the church has God's mission in the world. The church has God's mission in the world. A wise person turns that around and instead says, God's mission in the world has a church. God's mission in the world has a church. You and I, the church, are the delivery system for God's mission. The Christian who believes that given the broken and inhumane state of the world, is, understands that it's only by way of love that is willing to serve and even suffer that the world will be made whole. Before she met Jesus, the Syrophoenician woman knew her worth. Call it by the grace of God, call it whatever you want. At least she knew who she was and she knew that she could approach Jesus. The man who was deaf and voiceless also knew. The only question facing them both was, did Jesus know it? Did Jesus know that they were people of worth? And because of the story, we know he did. The question for those of us who claim to follow him is, do we know it as well? Do we know that the people around us, particularly those that we dislike or don't understand or who are different from us, are also people of sacred worth in the eyes of Jesus? Within the Christian faith, we find the reasons and the resources to love our neighbors, whatever their religious or spiritual tradition may be. We are called by God to treat each and every one of our fellow human beings with respect and care, to actively work for their well-being and to work with them for peace and justice in the world we all live in. I believe I'm called to do this whether or not my neighbor is a Christian or even becomes a Christian. I believe I'm called to do this because I am a Christian. We've been following the news of refugees in Europe the past couple of weeks. And what an overwhelming and tragic situation that is of people fleeing because their worth has been questioned because they've been thrown out, thrown away, mistreated, and they seek a place of refuge. The biblical scholar and preacher Fred Craddock tells a story that calls to mind such a situation with a missionary that was sent to India near the end of the Second World War. After many months, the time came for a furlough so he could return home. His church wired the money for him for passage on a steamer. And when he got to the port city, he discovered that a boatload of Jews had just been allowed to land temporarily. 
These were the days when European Jews were sailing all over the world looking for a place to live. And these particular Jews were staying in attics and warehouses and basements all over that port city. It happened to be Christmas. And on Christmas morning, this missionary went to one of the attics where scores of Jews were staying. And he walked in and he said, Merry Christmas! And the people looked at him as if he were crazy and responded, we're Jews. I know that, the missionary said. What do you want for Christmas? In utter amazement, the Jews responded, "Why we'd like pastries, good pastries like we had in Germany. So the missionary used the money for his ticket home to buy pastries for all the Jews he could find anywhere staying in that port city. Of course, then he had to wire home asking for more money to book his passage back to the States for his furlough. And as you might expect, his superiors wired back asking what happened to the money they had already sent. He wired that he had used it for Christmas pastries for Jews. His superiors wired back, why did you do that? They don't even believe in Jesus. And he responded, yes, but I do. This missionary was a doer of the word and not simply a hearer. And so are we when our ears are opened and our tongues are loosened, opening us to the hearing and the doing of the reconciling work that has been entrusted to us. In May of 1738, Peter Bowler, a Moravian missionary, said to the Anglican priest and hymn writer Charles Wesley, if I had a thousand tongues, I'd praise Christ with all of them. And on the 21st of May of that same year, Charles' quest for such a faith was fulfilled. And he was so stirred by those words of Peter Bowler that near the first anniversary of his evangelical conversion, he wrote a hymn beginning glory to God and praise and love. We sang those words this morning, but we don't normally know the hymn by those words. We know the hymn by the words of the seventh stanza that Charles Wesley wrote. Peter Bowler's words, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of his grace. Much of what passes for evangelical Christianity today, I'm afraid, is aimed at closing ears, tying tongues, and excluding people. It sometimes seems to me that what is presented as good is in fact demonic, and it's troubling. But in contrast to that, we have the inclusive, healing, liberating ministry of our dear Redeemer who not only talked about God's love but did something about it. Each of us can only ask that he liberate us from whatever demons torment us, unstop our ears to hear him and loosen our tongues to praise him with our words and with our actions so that we can become an extension of the heart and the hands of the incarnate one 
who came not to condemn, but to give life in the fullest sense. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.